0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. There are so many elements that contribute to our perception of rock stars how they move on stage, or jump, or dance, or gyrate, what they wear maybe eyeliner, or leather, or a big cowboy hat and of course, there's the instrument they play. Today, we're going to talk about one of them. a new exhibition at the museum of design in atlanta otherwise known as moda examines this classic instrument how it's made with what materials and the iconic musicians that we associate with the six-string twiner You're listening to Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix as we welcome Todd Vaught. He's curator of the exhibit at Moda, which is called Wire and Wood, Designing Iconic Guitars. And it's on view until September 29th. But he's with me in the studio today. Todd, thank you for being here.
1: Oh Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: And also with me, Dennis Fano. He's a luthier. That means guitar maker. He is founder of Fano Guitars, Nova Guitars, and Revolta Guitars. He's also featured in the exhibit at Moda, and he's joining us from Nashville. Dennis, thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, Todd, I'm going to start with you. Right now, we're listening to the opening scene of a rockumentary called It Might Get Loud featuring Jack White.
2: And, you know, who says you need to buy a guitar?
0: Todd, what did we just hear?
1: Yeah, so that was Jack White at the the first sixty seconds of the film. Um, he creates a diddly bow, right, right there on on film. And that movie, when it came out, I want to say it was eight or nine years ago. Um, that. That initial sequence just put a seed in my head and it, and it never really left and uh, When Moda contacted me about um, potentially doing another exhibit, uh, that popped up that whole idea that a guitar is really when you break it down just wire and wood it's and he shows that right in this beautiful little sixty second sequence that that it 's really that simple and now we all know it 's not that simple, but we like to you know think about those fundamentals and and I really started to think about. Um, the nature of guitars and how important they are to a musician's image and and those design themes that not only go into creating uh, guitars themselves, but how uh, creating one's image is a design. And so really wanted to just kind of study how those two things go together.
0: Jack White is, of course, in the Rock Contours, and they're going to be playing at the Tabernacle in Atlanta next week. But he really came to fame as a guitarist for the raw rock duo, the White Stripes. Here's their song, Ball and Biscuit. Now, that diddly bow from Jack White is the most DIY guitar that you have on display in the show. Why, overall, look at the design of guitars? Like, What is the benefit of that?
1: Well, f- for me, um, I mean, with Jack White specifically, right, you mentioned he was raw, and a raw um, sort of sound. He played these really cheap guitars, and one of them was an airline, um, like a Glass, which is a, a cheap um, department store guitar, and... Um, the thought about playing something like that versus what is typically a, you know, it could be a three or four thousand dollar instrument, always sort of, I always found it interesting that certain guitarists would talk about their instruments like they were irreplaceable. Yet here's this worldwide phenomenon playing this thing that came out of a catalog for seventy five bucks, right? And so I wanted to understand from a design standpoint what is truly making these different instruments unique? What, why is one really better than another when they're both just wire and wood? And so that's what really went, uh, sort of led me to examine the idea of uh, looking at the design of the guitars and, and what separates one from another.
0: Well, of course, the department store guitar and the affordable guitar is part of what revolutionized American music. But I want to talk to Dennis about the opposite end of the spectrum. So working yeah. with the guitars, you make them, you build them, has been yep. a huge part of your life, starting in middle school, tinkering with your classical guitar by removing the strings. Now, what what motivated a middle schooler to do that?
2: It, it was the start of uh, MTV. Uh, it was the early 80s, uh, and I was exposed to music really for the first time. You know, I started out playing a classical guitar, uh, but I quickly re- realized that what I wanted to play was uh, the bass guitar. So uh, I removed a couple of strings from my from the uh, nylon string guitar that I had, and uh, that was essentially the first bass that I owned.
0: Well, Leo Fender heard many guitar players talking about the feedback caused by magnetic pickups during performances, and he set out to fix that problem. What were some of the problems or pain points that motivated you to make your own guitars, Dennis? Uh,
2: I think I just wanted to make instruments that were uh, you know, extremely durable and uh, uh, reliable. Um, I had spent uh, many years repairing uh, instruments. I, I saw what was working and what wasn't. So I think uh, it came out of a need to want to build a, a, a better mousetrap.
0: Todd, the exhibit focuses on the design aspect of guitars and kind of deconstructs them. There, there's a there's a section about the components of the instrument and then the step-by-step art of making a guitar. How did these contribute to our understanding of the design of a guitar?
1: Well, well my background's industrial design, right so i 'm always thinking about how I mean sitting in the studio, I look at this microphone, and all I can do is think about how all these little pieces go together and how it was built right so I always think you gain amazing knowledge about design by understanding how things go together and when somebody looks at a finished piece, they may not have that background to understand how it got there, so I think it 's really wonderful for people to be able to come in and see on one end of a wall just a chunk of wood. you know everybody understands that 's a block of wood, then you see all these. Um, sort of stages in in between, and you really get to see how it um, gets gets manufactured from that block of wood to a finished playing guitar. And um, it was great to work with uh, Dennis and his team to help isolate those steps into the most simplified form that we could. I think we got it down to 14, 14 steps. Um, and then to show that with real pieces. And so um, I think it's a it's a great display to help people understand from a design standpoint.
0: And wood is still the primary material used for guitars. although There's a lot of composite and other things that you show in the exhibition. So with a material like wood, there are naturally occurring variations. No two pieces of wood are exactly alike. So if you made two guitars in precisely the same way, would they sound differently?
2: Uh, they would. Um, the The difference could be subtle. Um, or it could be glaringly obvious. You won't know until you actually plug the guitar in for the first time and, and listen to it.
1: Junior Brown uh, gave me a great sort of quote about that. And, and you know, in coming up with the get Steel with Michael Stevens, he, uh, you know, he kind of put it down like, um, you know, it's like baking a cake, right? You know, you you know generally how to bake a cake. Just add that extra 10 or 15% in there that you don't know. And that's what you get with a guitar. You know, the, the you, you might build three of those get steels or, or any other guitar the exact same way, but that natural mm-hmm. variation in the wood is that ten or fifteen percent that might be it might be that ten, fifteen percent that makes it amazing and it might just make it pedestrian. So you you you're kinda up to the luck of the draw a little bit.
0: That is Todd Vaught, he's curator of the wire and wood exhibit at Moda. Also with me Dennis Fano, a luthier and founder of Fano guitars, Nova Guitars and Revolta guitars. Well, Dennis, how did you discover that, that, that extra 15%, that different ingredient?
2: Uh, you know, through a lot of experimentation. Uh, I've been building guitars for about 25 years now. And, um, you know, with every instrument, you learn something new. Uh, you find out what you like, what you don't like, uh, and, and try to distill uh, the better uh, of, of the, the ones that you make um, finding just the, the things that make them different and trying to uh incorporate those in in future builds
0: what are some of the other design elements you consider dennis you know shape or color or even names. some of the names are fantastic
2: yeah um it's a it's a long process uh it usually starts with the instrument itself uh shapes most of the designs that i come up with are uh, what are considered offset uh guitars Uh, where it's not a symmetrical design. They're slightly offset. Um, I like the way that those uh, instruments balance. Um, uh, So that's another thing to consider. It's not just about what it looks like, what it sounds like, but it's also how the instrument feels when you're playing that instrument. You want it to hang a certain way. Um, Whether you're sitting down or you're standing up, you want a guitar that's going to be well balanced. So uh, yeah, there's a, 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 a lot of things to consider. Uh, the names are something that uh, uh, I like to have a little bit of fun with. Um, the Novo model names are all derived from uh, from the Latin language, uh, and they all have things that are meaningful to me.
0: the The name of the guitar you mentioned, you know, searching for the origins, Telecaster. In itself, the name is something that Leo Fender came up with. Can do you know the story behind the origins of that?
1: Um, you know, uh, initially his first guitar was the broadcaster, right? And, and he named it the broadcaster because he was broadcasting it over speakers. And that was one of, one of the first guitars that, that would do that. Um, and ultimately he got into some, uh, trademark, uh, issues there. There was a, I think another company, it may have, it may have been even Gretsch had a drum kit called the, the broadcaster. Um, That's right. but anyway, who was it?
2: Yes, it was Gratch. It was
1: Gratch. Um, yes. and so, um, You know, he needed to back off the broadcaster name. But with, you know, the sort of the the turn of um, television coming into everybody's homes, you know, Fender was really trying to push something different than Gibson, where Gibson was more, again, traditional. Uh, Leo wanted to push into the future. And so the idea of tele with television, um, he put it on the front of the caster, and it became the Telecaster. Mm. There's something I want to just add in there a little bit was what you just asked was a big driver for... The study of the exhibition. One of the things that I recognized is when you find these sort of custom luthier shops making custom guitars. What I was seeing over and over were um, designs that looked like other guitars, right? It was I would see a custom guitar and I'd look at it and say, "That's a Telecaster," or right. I would, you know, see a custom guitar and say, "That's a Les Paul." Like, what, I don't, I don't understand this. Why are you know if you have the ability to design something why are you just designing something that looks like something else, and that um, that led me to Dennis, and you know when I found Dennis um, building things he's not just a custom shop right I mean they're a real guitar company but he wasn't just producing something that looked like something old it was something very classic in its look yet it was new. And it didn't look like everything else. And I thought from a design standpoint, that's a story you really want to get behind. and You really want to talk about because nobody's really doing that. It's a, it's interesting how um, it's mostly traditionalists that sort of you know, love and keep the guitar sort of guitar hero thing alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they want the old classic stuff. And it's really hard to break in with something this new and different.
0: Well, that's the thing. And, you know, if you looked at old cellos you know the 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 more ancient the stradivarius or something built in the 17th century the more value it would be the guitar development does that mean that a guitar that is an older guitar is not as valued or they have to be retired after a certain amount of time or do you just keep playing um
1: you know uh, dennis can probably speak to this better than i can but you know you 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 hear all the time i mean there's There's certain guitars that just have these classic qualities that everybody's looking for. I mean, a 59 Les Paul. And, you know, you you, you get a hold of these guitars and you don't let them go. You know, a a fan favorite of mine, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? I loved Stevie Ray Vaughan, always have. Um, And he had this one particular guitar, Stratocaster, he played all the time. You know, different people tell you different things about these histories of these instruments, but they said basically every part of that thing has been rebuilt about six times. You know, it's got... You know, all new hardware in it multiple times, four different necks on it. I mean, the the body is really the only original piece left. And so it sort of becomes a, a Frankenstein instrument after a while. But Dennis, I don't know what you think.
2: For sure. You know, uh, from the standpoint of a new instrument, we want to build an instrument that's going to last, you know, uh, the player's lifetime. Uh, ideally, uh, it, it will be durable enough to do that. And I think what you're seeing with a lot of those vintage guitars, uh, the Strats, the tellies, the Les Pauls from the 50s, uh, they are so good. Um, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to play them as long as you could. But many of those instruments, uh, when you have a touring musician, they will retire those instruments because they, they are incredible. uh, valuable, and they don't want anything to happen to them.
0: You say you design guitars the way that you you think they should be. But when you were starting out, you did make a custom guitar for the guitars from the band XDC. I think, Dave Gregory, do I have that right?
2: Uh, The first one that I made was for Andy Partridge, but I did get around to making one uh, for Dave Gregory and for Colin Moulding as well.
0: So what was that experience like working with somebody who said, this is what I want in a guitar?
2: It was a little daunting because I was working with somebody that I was, you know, that, whose music I, I you know, was a, a huge fan of, um, but it was really interesting to uh, to hear what it was that he wanted um, and and try to uh, you know uh, do my best to to deliver on those desires.
0: So, are you more interested in making custom-designed guitars or putting your own vision on the market?
2: Um, I would say uh, the latter. Uh, we're we're building a, a company. We're building a brand. And, um, you know, we still do custom instruments, but our bread and butter is the guitars that we make every day.
0: Well, Todd, there are a number of, quote-unquote, iconic guitars on display from Steve Vai, Orianti, and Bo Diddley. How did you go about getting all these guitars for the exhibition?
1: Yeah, so I've um, curated a couple of uh, museum exhibitions at this point, and, and this was really unique in that um, what's happened previously is if I needed something, I would go out to a manufacturer, right? Because they all have marketing departments, and um, and you can get them interested by saying, look, we're going to show off what you've worked for. Um, In this show, this did not work at all. Reached out to Fender, reached out to Gibson. I mean, you couldn't get anywhere. And so the surprising thing was it was the artists that got interested. So I started reaching out directly to artists through either their agents or i mean i got to metallica through their website believe that or not <laughs> no
0: way um, info at metallica pretty much yeah
1: i mean and and you know you end up you know six months later in a green room with james hetfield thinking i and i emailed their website and this is where i am it was pretty weird
0: well let's hear james hetfield on his esp Snakebite. this is enter sandman by metallica
1: Um, and so uh, just really trying to get that list that was going to cover generations of artists, you know, old and young, really something for everybody, right? I don't want anybody to walk away and feel like, oh, I didn't see what I wanted to see.
0: That is Todd Vaught, curator of wire and wood, designing iconic guitars. It's on view at the Museum of Design Atlanta until September 29th. And Dennis Fano, he's a guitar builder, founder of Fano Guitars, Novo Guitars, and Revolta Guitars. We're going to leave you with Making Plans for Nigel by XDC as we head into a quick break. But please stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear about some of the iconic guitars on display. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. And we're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Whether it is the twang of a blues tune, the finger picking of a folk song, or the shredding in heavy metal music, the guitar is central to our concept of popular music. But how does the design, the look, the sound, and feel play into how a guitar becomes iconic? Right now, the Museum of Design Atlanta has an exhibit exploring exactly that. It's called Wire and Wood, and it's on display until September the 29th. You're listening to I Love Hot Nights by Jonathan Richman and the Modern Lovers as we continue our conversation with the exhibit's curator, Todd Vaught and guitar builder, Dennis Fano. Before the break, we talked about the making and design of a guitar. And let's get into the rock stars. Um, there's a whole room in Wire and Wood showcasing the guitars of a number of significant musicians. You mentioned Junior Brown's uh, Todd. But why do we think these fancy guitars say Billy Duffy's Gretch White Falcom? What does that add? Um,
1: you've got a, a, a very small audience that's interested in design. And most people don't think about it a whole lot. Um, and so what I've tried to do with exhibits that I've worked on there is find other subject matter that people are interested in that will bring in a, a broader audience, if you will, and then you teach them about design once they get there. So we trick them to get in with the cool stuff, like, hey, do you want to see these really cool guitars? Um, and then when they're there, you, you you show them these interesting sort of design uh, uh, elements, Billy Duffy, Junior Brown, St. Vincent – uh, Jack White, certainly, these are all different age groups, different musical styles that would appeal to a broader audience, um so that when people come in they get to see wow that's that's the guitar that i you know I've heard on these records for all of these years and uh, there it is right in front of me and then you get to learn something really special about it
0: Okay, I want to go to St. Vincent because there are a few guitars made iconic by women and Annie Clark, Saint Vin- who performs as St. Vincent is on display She has the St. Vincent Signature Music Man very involved in the design process on this one Well, let's hear a little bit of her song her playing it in action This is the song Los Angeles. the sunset superstars cages playing their guitars designed to as she said have room for a breast or two as she put it but she was also adamant that it shouldn't be classified as masculine or feminine what made this innovative
1: yeah i think that that's uh, it's interesting i mean one of the things that uh, you know I, so i got to talk to sterling ball a good bit who sterling um, is the, the head guitar builder and head guitar designer at uh, for Music Man at Ernie Ball. And and um, talking to him about his work with Annie, um, just understanding her goals, right, to make this a instrument that, that was good for her to play. And certainly um, lightweight was a big part of it. I mean, we all pick up a guitar and think, ah, this is fine. And then after you play a song or two, you go, oh, this thing's kind of heavy. Um, so, you know, weight is, is a big deal. And so they skinnied this thing up, and it is. It's very light. Um, the profile of it is very unique. Um, the St. Vincent was unlike anything I've seen. It broke the mold. It didn't look anything like – I mean, you would never confuse that thing with anything Gibson would ever do or anything Fender would ever do or Paul Reed Smith or right, any of these big you know guitar manufacturers. So it was fun to see them really change and really break the mold on what these things look like. And then she put her own characteristics and her own spin on there. Um, to play the way that she wanted it to play and 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 out out it came right let's hear
0: about an atlanta native rich robinson of the black crows said that sound is king but in his early years the look did affect him certainly like seeing keith richards on stage playing a telecaster what is the what is the impact of wanting to play what your heroes are playing and that's why these guitars just get passed down from one to the next
1: yeah i mean i think just watching you know seeing videos with the rise of mtv and seeing Keith Richards run around with that telecaster when 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 Rich Robinson said that um you know I, you could totally relate right and then you remember when the black crows came out in the 90s and you're like wow they're they're like you know the, i know they hate this but <laughs> they're like the new rolling stones you know they're the they're a great rock and roll band and they're playing rock and roll and there's no frills and there's no effects and it's just straight down rock and he's got that telecaster and wow that's what i want to do you know so you really see how the inspiration of the people that you look up to came from the people before them and it just keeps getting handed on and on and so um i don't know the the, keith and the telecaster they they i think inspired a, a whole bunch of people let's
0: hear a little bit of the black crows the song jealous again with a telecaster in action Well, actually, one of the things that you do in the show is you say uh, other artists that are associated with this. I'm thinking Bruce Springsteen we have with the Telecaster, Joe Strummer from The Clash, Otis Redding's great guitarist, Steve Cropper, um, plenty of others. But then there's the classic Buck Owens Harmony American. This is a red, white and blue acoustic guitar that became integral to his image he had the idea apparently in the 60s showing patriotism when people were burning flags and marching how about the look is it is it more about the look than the sound
1: i think in that case it is right i mean some of those acoustic guitars and and, you know buck was on tv right so visual the visual the aesthetic was a huge part of of an image and this gets into that whole part of the exhibition of studying you know what is that design of your image and now that he's not just uh, coming across your radio with the Buckaroos in the you know in the fifties, he's on your TV screen now in color. You know, I think uh, it struck a lot of people, and um, obviously very Americana. You know, a little bit corny, and um, but certainly impacted everyone to where they remember it. And I, and I think um, you know it's funny because those guitars. You know, the the real guitar player on that show was was, was uh, Roy Clark. And I remember myself trying to learn guitar. My, my father told me, if I, could learn to, if I could learn how to play under the double eagle, he would buy me any guitar I wanted. So I worked, I worked real hard to learn to play under the double eagle.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so we're not going to play that, but we're going to play Buck Owens playing that guitar. This is The Streets of Bakersfield. Trying to find me
2: something better On the streets of Bakersfield you don't
0: know me, but you don't like me. You say you care less how I feel. So Dennis, that was a guitar. Um, Sears and Roebuck sold it for what, $100, something like that? Um, sold loads of them, helped it, aided and abetted by Buck Owens. How does the look of a guitar uh, impact you as as appeal or as a maker?
2: Uh, it's really important. You know, everybody wants to look cool. Um, you know, you uh, know, I have to consider that when I'm designing a guitar, uh, even just every day when we're finishing an instrument, uh, there's a lot of design choices. Uh, the color of the, uh, the 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 knobs or choosing the knobs, uh, the color of the pick guard, um, uh, the look of the guitar is very, very important.
0: Continuing with country, we've got Junior Brown's Git Steel guitar on display. Very unique looking. What is the story behind this one?
1: So, Junior, you know, it was obviously a guitar player, and he also played lap steel, and uh, pedal steel guitar, and, um, you know, I think when he was playing live, he just didn't have the opportunity to do that. The pedal steel, you sit down and you play mm-hmm. it, right? Like It's almost like a table. Um, but he's playing a guitar and, and was not able to switch up between those two instruments doing a live performance, so he wanted to find a way to be able to play both. And so his uh, a, a, a luthier that he had a relationship with, Michael Stevens... Um, You know, he worked together with him, and the way Junior tells it, he he basically had a dream about how these things could could work together. He woke up and sort of moved his, uh, um, you know, some blankets around to sort of figure out how this thing could lay out. And they started, you know, strapping real guitars together with these big rubber bands and seeing how they would balance out. And ultimately, Michael uh, built a prototype, and um, Junior played that thing for 25 years, uh, just an amazing, amazing instrument. You can see with the, with, with the instrument that's on exhibition, you, you can see the years on that thing. It's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> things in the show is you see the beer, the blood, the sweat, the you know, the honky-tonk on that thing.
0: Todd Vott there, curator of the Wire and Wood exhibit about guitars at the Museum of Design Atlanta. Also with us, Dennis Fano, a luthier and founder of Fano, Novo, and Revolta Guitars. Well, let's hear a little bit of Junior Brown doing what comes easy to a fool. Dennis, how about for you? You're based in Nashville. Even though you don't specifically design guitars for country music, your guitars have been really popular in that scene. Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, I think because they're uh, you know very versatile guitars um, I'm not originally from here we've actually only been in Nashville for two years and um, I was wondering uh, you know before we got here I was curious as to whether or not we would be accepted by uh, the the country uh, players um, and you know I, I thought maybe perhaps uh, the design that we have for the uh, for the novo guitar the um, the saris, uh, was a, a little, uh, you know, kind of out of their comfort zone. Um, but uh, I found out pretty pretty early on that that was not the case. We uh, uh, built a guitar for Keith Urban uh, just at the end of last year, and um, he seems to be, you know, uh, enjoying it quite a bit. So uh, he's already got a second one on order. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, and Dennis and I talking previously, he told me this story about how he felt in terms of, you buy these wonderful guitars out of a shop and you just paid 2500 bucks for it. And, and it's kind of like Spinal Tap, right? It's like, don't even look at it. You know, don't touch it. Don't look at it. And much less play it or possibly dent it.
2: That's right. Early on, um, I had customers you know, constantly saying to me, this is beautiful. I don't even want to touch it. I'm just going to hang it on the wall or I'm going to keep it in its case. And I thought, well, you know I, I didn't build a piece of furniture. I built an instrument. It's meant to be played that that played heavily into uh, my decision to start making uh, instruments that were already uh, distressed and, and, and broken in because you just feel like when you pick it up, you just you, you can you start rocking without feeling like uh, you, n- you need to baby it.
1: Um, I think it's a wonderful way to approach the guitar because you will actually play this thing, and that's what it's meant for. Right? It's meant to be played. It's not meant to just be looked at.
0: I wonder what it's like for you guys, um, you know, loving guitars, Dennis. You building guitars to see, you know, like Pete Townsend in that in that era of the Who when he was smashing them on the floor.
2: Yeah. That's oh, great. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I, well. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I shed a tear when I see things like that. But um, um, you know, uh, it's 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 rock and roll, so you know, uh, anything goes.
1: Well, You know, the Kurt Cobain guitar is that way, right? Because yeah. you know, the p- part of their show was you know they bust everything up mm-hmm. after, and I talked to um, Cobain's tech, his guitar tech, and he said, "Look, when that tour started, because he pl- he played that throughout the In Utero tour." So, you know, we had about 20 guitars in boxes that Fender Fender sent them. We toured around with them in a box. For every show, we'd pull one out of a box. I'd set it up. Kurt would play it. Most of the time, it would get just completely broken to bits, and we'd throw it in a dumpster, and it was gone. Every now and then, he wouldn't completely obliterate it, and I would repair it. So he said out of that 20 um, at the time that Kurt passed, there was about two left in the box that were never pulled out. So they were never played. They stuck in the box. There were about 17 or 16 or 17 that were com- just thrown in the dumpster. And there were two that he knew of that he had repaired that were still playable. Mm-hmm. One of those is what's on display at Wiringwood. Wow.
0: Well, there are so many people who are associated with the Fender Stratocaster. Why, why is Kurt Cobain the one to represent it? Because that guitar? Because that story?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it, the Strat was so hard to get somebody so iconic because, to your point, I mean, you could just sit here and name off I mean, everybody played a Strat, right? David Gilmour and Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and, you know, on and on and on. Uh, the thing that was interesting about Cobain is, honestly, most people tend to uh, visualize him with a Fender Mustang in his hand. And that was just from a number of, they had a couple of photo shoots, and he always had that guitar with him. But, you know, according to his guitar tech, he played a Strat more than anything else. So I thought that was sort of an interesting twist on that story.
0: It must be worth a lot of money.
1: Uh, I'm sure it's a lot, a lot of money, yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 well, let's hear a little bit of Heart Shaped Box, of course, Nirvana. Hey,
1: wait, I oh, remember,
0: your hey, All right, let's switch gears. I'm thinking when James Hetfield and Buck Owens developed their guitars, first for themselves, and then put them on the market... There are other musicians that kind of kept them to themselves, like Bo Diddley. Why, why was he keeping a secret?
1: I think, you know, Bo's thing was he was like, <laughs> a little bit, he was a pretty unique character, right? I, I don't think he was maybe as open with that, right? There was some competition there with some of his contemporaries. And so he was actually taking effects and where you know, call them stomp boxes, floor pedals, you know, effects pedals, that sit on the floor, uh, change the sound. He was incorporating some of those things into the guitars themselves, and as he's playing it, it's sort of covered up, right? And so people couldn't necessarily tell what he was doing to get these sounds. And I think that was, at least that's the lore, right? That part of it was him sort of taking his creative ideas and making them his own and and making sure nobody could sort of steal his ideas.
0: Let's hear a little bit of that signature Bo Diddley guitar sound
1: the Bo (laughs) Diddley beat. You know, one thing that I was, they've been getting a pretty good response is the design your own guitar exhibit, where, um, you know, know, the the idea was that once you go through the icon exhibition or the icon gallery, where you see these 12 famous instruments, right, and you learn about how they sort of designed their uh, image with these guitars, um, you then get to go and sort of create your own guitar, putting different body styles and necks and headstocks together, and then you can jump up on the stage and and uh, just sort of get to pre- pretend an air guitar a little bit, but something a little bit funner and more hands-on rather than just looking through a piece of glass.
0: Dennis, how does it feel to see yourself on the wall as a part of this exhibit with all of these vaunted and <clears throat> and revered guitars and guitarists? Uh,
2: there's only one word that came to mind, and it was surreal. Um, we walked in, and, uh, you know, you see a giant, uh, not only the, the great guitars that are on display, but we see... Uh, You know, a a large photo of Leo Fender, uh, a similar sized photo of Paul Reed Smith. And then there I am at the end. And I'm like, what am I doing there? (laughs) So it's uh, it was pretty surreal.
0: Dennis Fano, guitar builder and founder of Fano Guitars, Novo Guitars and Revolta Guitars. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. And Todd Vaught, what a pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Todd is curator of Wire & Wood, designing iconic guitars at the Museum of Design, Atlanta. It's on view until September the 29th. You can go to our website, gbbnews.org, to find out more about that. That is it for our show for today. We're going to leave you with the song, This Charming Man by The Smiths, with the great Johnny Marr on guitar. And we'd love to know what is your favorite guitar solo? Let us know on our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought, or tweet us at OST Talk. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, LaRaven Taylor, Priya Mahadevan, and Jake Troyer. Jesse Neiswanger is our engineer. Our interns are Allison Kraussman and Jessica Lowell. We get help from Don Smith, and Amy Kylie is senior producer. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for spending some time with On Second Thought. When the yeah. Hey, hey, hey.